forever. Dog. Welcome to Hillside Diet. Thanksgiving stinks. Being old is awesome. I believe twins should be separated at birth. The Bachelor is the perfect way to find love. Adults who like Disneyland are deeply unwell. Welcome back to Hills I Die On. Today is a wonderful, super amazing day on the podcast because today I've got one of my all-time favorite writers and humans. She is a writer slash producer for shows like Polly Pocket, DC Superhero Girls, Doc McStuffins, and a bunch of stuff that we can't talk about just yet. She also writes comics and graphic novels, including Wonder Woman, DC Superhero Girls, and Batman Overdrive. She's the most prolific human I've ever met, and I am shook that she found the time to squeeze me in today. Please welcome to the podcast, Shay Fontaine. Hello. Thank you so much for having me. Thank you for so much for making it. Of course. Truly. Anything for you, Taylor. You're right. the best. I mean, you know, this, it's, the feeling is so mutual. I should have <laughs> mentioned that Shay is and has been my forever boss. And I'll follow <laughs> Shay to any project, whether she wants me there or not. <laughs> so you have to be very careful on this debate. Exactly. So. Which you can always kind of tell when I'm debating my superior on these podcasts. <laughs> I, at least I can when I'm listening back because someone says something and I'm like, sure, fine, totally. As long as I can keep working. You can have whatever points you want. And this one is even going to be a bit trickier since it is about your livelihood in some ways. So. 110%. <laughs> oh my God. Didn't even occur to me. You like have to give me notes tomorrow. <laughs> so this will uh, directly affect that debate, which uh, honestly, I'm so excited to get into. One of the uh, most exciting things you've told me lately is when we were having dinner last, I forced you to tell me how many episodes of TV you made last year. Can you tell us again? I think it was something about eight, like 80. Yeah, it was like, yeah. It was like I think almost it was 90, about 80, um, which is wild. It was a lot. So it's one of those things that I have a couple projects going on right now. And between the lot of them, there's just a lot of episodes going around my head. So if you ever ask me about a story, I probably have no idea what you're talking about, <laughs> but I have to look at the script again. <laughs> Amazing uh, and uh, truly inspiring. And thanks for letting me be a part of it. Absolutely. Uh, but that brings us to your hill, which I'm so excited to get into. Would you mind telling us what that is? My hill is animation is superior. Amazing. I love just this. in general, just in general. Because okay. <laughs> I know we're going to get into it in a little bit. But yes. can I list off a couple superior to live action superior to live action? And I that always throws my mom off because she's like, what do you mean? Like live, like a live show? And I was like, That's no, so like funny. live action. As opposed to like all the ghost films. Yeah. <laughs> as opposed to dead action, such as Casper. And we also, I think we'll get into a little bit, but let's start with that first. Uh, the kids versus adult world, which I know yes. is one that we both have a lot of feelings on. And I'm excited to get into. So it looks like you've come prepared, which doesn't surprise me. I have slightest. some notes. So I think one of the big things that I come up with against a lot as a human being who writes for kids and who gets, you know, people that you meet in your everyday life, they think that writing for kids is somehow easier than writing for adults. And it's absolutely not. They don't understand that just because something is simple doesn't mean it's easy. Um, so I think one of the biggest things that I always think about when I'm talking about writing for kids is that it's like writing in a different language, but you have to do it with all of the thoughtfulness and humor that you would do in your own language, because actually when you're writing for kids, it's more difficult to be on their level as an adult than it is to be an adult writing for adults. Cause then you're just writing for your peers. You know, the language, you know how to have those so jokes, right. you have the sarcasm, you can have everything in there, but especially when you're writing for young kids, like preschoolers, four, five, six-year-olds, 
they don't have all of the context that we do as adults to get a lot of the jokes that we think are funny. So you actually have to try a lot harder to make them laugh than you do to some of your friends. That's beautifully said. (laughs) I, as you know, having worked in both kids and adult and animation and live action, have confronted that a lot. And it truly blows my mind because it's true. I, I think the common misconception is that the kids space essentially takes adult content and waters it down for mm-hmm. children. And I, someone brought that up in the meeting, the, in a meeting the other day. And I was like, well, no, not <laughs> at all. And if you tried to do that, it wouldn't work because even though you were a kid back in the day, every generation is different Absolutely. and what every generation finds funny is different. So you will never have the shared experience of the children you're writing for. That's just not possible. Unlike your peers, as you were saying, um, which is something that I find so fascinating and incredibly condescending. So as much as I wanted to bait you on it, it's going to be really hard for me to do today. Um, No, it's so so true. It's so, so true. I've broken this show. It's, hey, look, there are days where I'm really excited to get into it and days where I just can't find it in my heart to debate it because uh, I personally believe that it's important to to share this stuff uh, for a million reasons. First of all, one of the big things that drives me crazy about that animation live action uh, discrepancy is what we're paid. Yes, absolutely. And that's crazy. It's ridiculous. The Animation Guild actually covers animation writers and the Writers Guild does not because there is just this pervasive idea within the world uh, at large that animation is somehow other and it's somehow not as hard and it's somehow not as perhaps as interesting or takes as much skill, but it takes a lot more craft, I think, to write for someone who is different than you. And it's even more frustrating when you think about how much less animation writers are paid when you think about how much money animation makes, especially in toy products and other things that, that. whereas like a live action show, you know, maybe there would be a t-shirt for friends or, you know, like the most successful show in the world might have some t-shirts. Every animated show wants to have a large licensing program. You go to the store, you see all of the, you know, everything in the toy aisle is based on a lot of these shows. And the writers are completely cut out of that. I didn't realize that. I I guess I I don't know how I never thought about that, but I never realized that at all, that when something is an extension of the thing you created, you still don't get a back end. It's very, very rare in animation to get a back end. That is wild. And even I think more tragically, especially as you think of Disney doing all these, what they're calling live action, which in some of them aren't even live action uh, interpretations of animated films is those writers of the original animated films were not WGA. So they're not getting any sort of percentage of back end way. Yeah. What? It's crazy. Wait, how is that at all legal? It's, it's because the contracts, yeah, it? the contracts they had signed back in the 90s. So when they're remaking all these shows, these, uh, you know, Lion King and Beauty and oh the Beast, my God. the writers, the original writers are completely cut out of those deals. No way. Yeah. That is Even things that are like almost like verbatim. Iconic. Yeah, what they like wrote before. That's international. Like, isn't that property theft? <laughs> like, I'm so, I'm, I'm fuming that I did not realize that at all. That is so crazy. So if I wrote, there, there must be solutions for that now. Like, I can't imagine the creator of Coco is going to be like, go ahead and make a live action version. I'm making no money. But is that the case? Is that maybe um, I think there are different contracts that are more pervasive now than they were back in the 90s. Um, 
but yeah, so many of those live the animated films that were huge hits, uh, had huge licensing and marketing. You still go to Disneyland, you see, and I sh- maybe shouldn't call out Disney specifically, no, but you still fine. go to theme parks. Yes. <laughs> Disney's going to be completely unfazed by this podcast. <laughs> yes. <laughs> They're very we're litigious. Down, we're taking down the man today. Exactly. I work for an ABC show. Please don't, uh, to please. I'm we so sorry. Disney. We love you so However, much. However, um, there are, there's certainly like things that are still being made, produced based on those movies and shows that the creators are completely cut out of. That's so wild. To be treated as less than is complete bullshit. And we don't stand for it here on this podcast. Absolutely. This is a terrible debate. I'm so sorry. You're right. Uh, But I like live action too. Look, having written for both animation and live action. I don't like money either. I I know. It's so crazy. I mean, look, and having written for both, I love both mediums. I love working in both mediums. I feel like I've met people that I love in both mediums. But the reason I feel so impassioned to stick up for animation is because I have personally experienced experience that bias so much. Mm-hmm. Uh, I talked about this well, briefly in another podcast, but I feel like one of the biggest things I get as a writer who quote unquote made the leap to live action was that when I was writing an animation I was doing, or and kids animation more specifically, I was doing lesser work and people are always wondering like, oh, you didn't get trapped there. You like, it, tell me what it was like <laughs> making that giant leap into live right. action. And it's incredibly condescending. And I want to say, first of all, I haven't made the leap. I still still work in animation and I and still you do love excellent doing it. Work. Thank and you. I'm always happy to oh have you God. on a staff. Oh my God. Uh, my work is safer every day. No. Uh, and I, but I, I love doing it and I don't, and I don't think you have to choose between the two. Um, but I also think again, some of the most sophisticated storytelling, as you were saying, is done in the kids space. Mm-hmm. It's, it's unique and it's funny. And when it's animated, you can do anything. So, you know, there's not the confines of being like the, fu- it's the funny, it can't be the funniest joke. It's the funniest joke that we can produce with live action but in animation it's like no you have to come up with the funniest version of this joke so like there because the sky is the limits oftentimes with animation you're forced to be more creative and more clever and come up with new silly ways that don't feel hack and of course there's bad animation out there just as there's bad live action out there people are in a live action are culpable of the same thing (laughs) of telling making bad sticky jokes which is why there's networks dedicated to that shit (laughs) Um, oh so one of the other things I wanted to bring up with you um, that I found interesting was that uh, every so often the blacklist invites this woman Lindsay Duran to come speak Uh, she's a producer writer uh woman who fully Mm -hmm. changed my life. Uh, First of all, she does this talk about like learned optimism about like how our lives can be better if we learn to be optimistic, which is amazing. But one of the things she really gets into is how we perceive comedy versus drama and how drama Ah. always goes up last in award shows and why that is. And the conclusion she draws is basically that like we as humans think being sad is a more serious emotion. And because of that, we think it's more important, even though the box office proves that more right. people are going to see uh, comedies in droves. Uh, but that being said, just as an extension of Lindsay's flawless thesis that I've gone to see like 15 times, uh, I think we look at kids TV and think the same things. Absolutely. We think that kids aren't as serious as adults. And so how could the content they consume be as serious either? Right. And I think that there's such a disdain for escapism among serious types and people who are picking the awards that they can't even like look into the artistry of some of these films. I have I have one little um, 
Speaking of the Academy Awards, oh, please get into it. <laughs> yes, I, my part of my hill was that people's disdain for animation and disrespect for animation leads them to make some very, very stupid choices. Mm-hmm. For instance, a um, first of all, the Academy Awards didn't even have a category for best animated feature until 2002. Seriously. Which is sad in its own way, but also like I don't necessarily want to be sequestered to a best animated feature uh, right. category. And before 2002, um, there were only a couple of movies who were ever nominated, animated movies that were ever nominated in the best feature category. And one of those was Beauty and the Beast and mm-hmm. it lost to Silence of the Lambs, which... Wow. Silence of the Lambs, great movie. Ooh, but, let's take it down. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but still, when you think of enduring films and if you think of kids being an audience that have any respect like think of how many kids in the past how many years is that 30 years almost uh have watched beauty and the beast and loved it and how many people that means have watched beauty and the beast and loved it compared to silence of the lambs um and then beyond that and uh, that person is not making money off of the emma watson version which now upsets me (laughs) i am so upset i'm very upset about it too um and then in the 2018 the oscars the best and the best feature went to green book and which, which was have. up against Spider-Man Into the Spider-Verse, which was like the greatest movie it ever. Absolutely. Uh, but it just did not get the same kind of respect because it was actually taking on racism in an interesting way, in right. a fun way. And that wasn't and just direct yeah, and whitewash. Breaking down so many more barriers than certain other films were and actually being culturally significant. Spider-Man Into the Spider-Verse was so much more technically proficient. It broke so many more barriers. It was so much more interesting and (laughs) well-made. Even if you don't like the story, which is crazy to me, because side note, I had never seen a Spider-Man movie before Spider-Verse. Yes, I know. I'm I'm confessing a lot of dark things. And I went into that movie being like, okay, everyone says it's great. So I'm going to go see it. I fucking loved every second of it. The only difference between me watching it and somebody who knows Spider-Man watching it, I think was that people were getting the references, but then every time there'd be like a laugh or an applause break at something I didn't get, I'd be like, great, that must be important. From <laughs> You're some like, other that's a movie. thing. Exactly. And now I <laughs> They know what it. that is. Uh, yes, exactly. I was like, all right, like, good job for planting Easter eggs. But even having never experienced Spider-Man mm-hmm. in any capacity, I was I, like left shook from that movie. Like Mike and I immediately emailed our people and we're like, can we have the script? Like we need to go through it and see. Yeah, it's a what beautiful it movie. Like. It's the cinematography would stand up against like any cinematography but a live action film total well and to that too i mean not only spider-verse but like when coco came out Mm -hmm. which i know i've talked about before i fucking loved that movie and at the time that animation was brand new and the the technology behind it was like so above and beyond anything we've seen in animation yeah and even with coco Coco was a serious movie. Yes. It was a very serious, heartfelt, dramatic movie. It had a lot of comedy in it, but it was totally. really a, a story about grief and totally. you know, losing someone. Um, and I also think to that, people forget that when you're making things for children, oftentimes you're not just making things for children, you're making it for their parents. Yeah. So now not only are you responsible for making kids laugh and keeping kids engaged, but for the entire family and... It, 
that's really hard thing to do that I right. think is overlooked a lot. So. And I think it is like, it comes down a lot to people don't respect kids' opinions. You're so right. <laughs> it's, they think they're so much smarter than kids when kids are... Honestly, kids who have read like books that I've written and they come up to me and talk to me about them, they just grasp so much more than so many like even editors that I've worked with. And they're like, the kids are talking to me about subtext and themes and, and people are like, where'd they get this from? I'm like, well, it's all in the book. Well, if you actually read it, you know, right. and you want to be like, Hey, call all the networks and tell them what you got from this. So they can remember that kids are smarter <laughs> than we think they are. And we don't have to label everything because they get nuance right which is its own which is its own hill we can talk we can, we can take down the networks we love that pay us and give us chances exactly. to write things we love on a different podcast but today is not the day to do that one speaking of technological advancements i will say animation has from the beginning been a huge uh, thing for the advancement of various filmmaking techniques including sound you like sound with your movies uh, that was a big pioneers in animation with the song cartoons Steamboat Willie were some of the first sound uh, films oh, yeah. out there and then color as well uh, the first animated color movie was in 1926 and it was made by a woman if you oh, are yes. interested in that well, I didn't know that. Of course I'm interested in that. Tell me more. Uh, Lottie Reiniger was her name. She was a German and she made this incredible movie with a paper cut animation and it was all full color. One of the first color movies of its time, 65 minutes running time, wow. which was a huge achievement, especially back then thinking of... <laughs> doing a paper cutout animation movie that lasted 65 minutes with the technology they had available, which was a camera and you right. had to literally reset Move every everything. single frame. Um, and that was in 1926. It was one of the first color wow. movies. So the huge advancements in technology have been made because of animation. And now I would say basically every single film that you see has some sort of VFX, visual effects. And that's all I would count as animation as well. So if we look at the so top right. 10 movies <gasps> of last year, we have The Avengers, Lion King, Frozen 2, Spider-Man Far From Home, Captain Marvel, Joker, Toy Story 4, Star Wars, Aladdin, and Jumanji, all of which are either animated films or rely heavily on animated effects or are um, derivative of an animated f movie, comic, or some sort of picture book material for kids. That so. is crazy. Yeah. And those are the box office scores. Yep. So that's so the, worldwide gross. So also proving that people want to see this material across Absolutely. the board more so than everything else. And success means it's good. So yes. That's <laughs> and as we know, the person with the most money Financial wins. success Bo is Bloomberg. all we... Just kidding. <laughs> <laughs> totally kidding. I'm so sorry, Brady, but making a joke. Um, You're going to get some letters for that. Also, I think I saw pretty much every movie on your list, by yes. the way. So that's uh, the top 10. Um, the only one that you would say was like a drama is Joker, which I know, is... I want to see. Can I see that yeah, list again? Absolutely. Okay. Uh, so we have Avengers, Indisputable. It mm -hmm. comes from comics, yep. which, yeah, all animation. And all like 99% of the shots in Avengers has some sort of visual effects to it. So Wild. basically an animated film with people in it. Because yeah. everything now, especially with green screen, you know, the whole battles are done on these like stage sets and yeah. they're just animating in You're everything so right. else. And then Frozen 2, fantastic. I saw it for my it. birthday. <gasps> oh, that's okay. I, this is the wrong podcast to no, say that. You're allowed to say I mean, you haven't seen I Frozen 2. Did Frozen you see Frozen 2. 1? I saw 
Frozen when I okay, loved it. I course. just haven't gotten there yet. That's, I, a, since you did a 9,408 episodes of TV last year, you get a pass. Uh, Spider-Man Far From Home, obviously. Uh, Captain Marvel, same thing. The Joker, oh, Joker's actually the only one I didn't see because I'm scared of it. I, it scares me too. Yeah. I haven't seen it either. <laughs> okay, it's like, I don't want a movie that just makes me feel really bad, which yeah. I guess my bias is coming through because I like escapism. I do too. <laughs> I fully agree with you on that one. And that is like most of what Lindsay Duran's talk is about. And everyone should go listen to that far superior conversation. <laughs> just kidding. Uh, it's fantastic though. She's amazing. And, but Joker, obviously derivative of Batman universe, yep. which is uh, comics which, and graphic novels. I mean, you could say... It was originally intended for a wider audience, but, you know, it has been kind of relegated to the same space that animation is often relegated into. Yeah, and like why the, is that? We don't take this as seriously because it's drawn. Yeah, you're so <laughs> right. I mean, and we do condescend a lot of these movies all the time by just being like, they're just big action films, but people like them and go see them. Right. So everyone and they're important them. to our culture and to people who love them. I completely agree. Um, the other one, Toy Story. I love Toy Story 4. So fantastic. Uh, Star Wars. Yep. Aladdin. Oh, is Star Wars the one that you were going to say didn't come from like animation in any capacity um oh, no, that's, yeah kind of <laughs> well, uh, but it's very highly reliant on visual oh, yeah, yeah, yes of yeah. course okay and then aladdin oh jumanji yeah jumanji yes, of course it's a picture book so, so it's right. all these things that we make for kids and then we then condescend to them jumanji was based on a picture book yes even the first one yeah the first one was so scary <laughs> the first jumanji i think like fully traumatized me for a very <laughs> long time when the kid turns into a monkey and the hunter comes out one of the scariest movies i've the ever one seen with in my Robin Williams? yes okay I, I that and gremlins like i get chills thinking of, i almost didn't want to go see the new jumanji because i was still slightly tra- traumatized from the original <laughs> jumanji uh it was not at all scary and completely delightful i loved it it's so interesting especially as I'm sure you've had the conversations, as you said, like the people in the industry who are completely poo pooing uh, mm-hmm. all these things. And yet those are the things that are keeping the industry afloat in a lot of ways. Totally. I also just want to say again, to just really hit on that point, uh, if you are a showrunner or film or TV creator and you see someone's credits with animation, we got to start looking at that differently because yeah. that person is still working and writing. I mean, I feel that way with a lot of credits sometimes I feel like we all are a little bit credit hose and we look at somebody's <laughs> IMDb and we're like they've worked on cool stuff but it's a real bummer and obviously I'm saying this as someone being like hello I'm amazing man. Really <laughs> do you things. feel like in your experience in animation that animation has been in any way easier or less complicated to write than not even close sitcoms? in mm-hmm. fact I personally feel like it was harder for me to do because I think writing about myself and writing about, you know, live action, the the shows I've been on have have lent themselves to me writing about personal experience. Oftentimes Mm -hmm. it's like one was about a bar and one's about a group of friends and you know what I mean? So writing animation where it was like, you really have to be creative and be visual and mm-hmm. not just rely on like joke telling explicitly uh, was a harder skill for me to learn. And I, I mean, I think it's made me better across the board because it reminds you that, you know, you're not just having a conversation 
between two people. Right. There's things that they're doing and things happening and other more compelling ways to tell a story that are visual. So yeah, I personally, have you worked in live action at all? Um, I wrote one movie that was just an original feature film and it was made by an independent producer that is live action. That's um, amazing. Of course you did. <laughs> no one gets movies made on this earth and you just it casually was, no, dropped it was super, that. super, super low budget. So uh, what? That's still yeah, amazing. And it was like, it was the first script I wrote. So that's amazing. <laughs> and after that, you were like, that was too easy. I got my first produced thing done <laughs> it, in the live action space. It was and the now, first script I wrote, but not the first uh, thing that I actually had produced. So wild. And, but it was, it was an interesting experience, but I think I am such a visual person and animation lends itself so well to the wackiness in my brain. Totally. Um, and I do find like, I think animation is such an all encompassing art form in a way that live action can be if you have the budget and a cinematographer mm -hmm. and all these ways that you can make live action really just be incredible visually. Mm -hmm. But not everybody takes advantage of those where in live action or in animation, you can really take advantage. It's like it's limitless. Like you said, it's really only as far as your animation can go because you can basically, especially in 2D animation as opposed to CG, the time it takes to draw something incredibly fantastical and amazing is about the same time it takes to draw a regular house. Like, okay. So <laughs> it's not, it's not that your budget is limited because we only have this house that we can shoot at and this is what the house looks like. Right. When you're in animation, you're, you can just let your imagination run wild and do whatever you want to do. Oh, I love it so much. It's just so true. You mentioned that people are a little bit condescending toward it, but is there any like experience in particular where that you remember that you'd be willing to share where somebody was like mm -hmm. condescending about the work we create. I mean, it happens so often. I don't really right. have like one specific, but it is a lot of like, so when are you going to do something real or when are you going to like oh my move God. on? Like, Mo so, see, and yeah. move on is so wild because I think a lot of people think about it as a stepping stone. Right. You guys cool it. And I got into animation because I loved animation and that's Same. what I wanted to do. And, I, that's why I'm still doing it. It's, and I yeah. guess there are certain percentage of writers who came from other, like trying to break in other places and they sure. got into animation, but like that was all I ever wanted to do was write cartoons. Yeah. I love that. I also think by the nature of the stigma, it occasionally stops people from going after animated work because they're yes. afraid of being quote unquote pigeonholed. Stop it. <laughs> uh, some other questions I have for you. Oh, real quick. What shows did you watch as a kid? Did you watch all animation growing up? I did watch a lot of animation growing up. Um, I watched like Doug and Hey Arnold, mm -hmm. all the like, Hey, the Nick afternoon block and mm -hmm. that kind of stuff. And I really like those shows stuck with me so much, but not only I was abnormal in the way that a lot of girls, they say, or at least I hear this from executives say that girls grow out of animation and I really? never did. Um, so like kind of the general rule of thumb in the animation industry is that girls stop watching cartoons around 11, 12 years old. Oh, no they way. go to, you know, the MTV shows. They want to see actual girls mm -hmm. like them portrayed on TV. Um, and I never did that. So I was yeah. always watching SpongeBob and everything as I was. Yeah. And that's really why I started to realize that I wanted to be in animation was because I was, I, I thought at first that maybe I'd be a journalist because that's what serious writer people do. Same thing. Um, yeah. <laughs> I was really bad. Mistakes. I was, like, the I was like, this article would be far more interesting if this happened instead. And they were like, that's not journalism. You are bad at your yeah, job. 
that was me too. I, I thought I wanted to be a journalist, but I think what I was really interested in was like the daily show with Jon Stewart, because that yes. was like, I'm like, Oh, jokes and journalism. Like you could say these things and it's funny and silly. Um, and then I was like, Oh, this isn't what journalism is. Like, no, it's not how they want you to write boring. articles. Yes, not at all. Um, so then I would like go home after my journalism classes and watch cartoons. And then I was like, wait a minute. There's another Maybe way. Maybe I yeah. could, because I'm just, I'm such a silly person and I'm not able to be serious for extended periods of time and I'm not able to take things seriously like other people do. So I don't think journalism was the right place for me. No, I also think you guys think about it. 99% of you, who'd you rather be in a room with? Somebody who's fun and doesn't take themselves too seriously or someone who's just like all serious all the time? Yeah, I absolutely. guarantee you would be the fun person. So why are we not acknowledging that as good, superior, and better. Uh, real quick, I want to get back to okay. what you were saying about the girls aging out of animation. Do you think part of that is because up until late, there hasn't been a lot of like female representation in a lot of the content or has the trend continued? This is an excellent question. And I have statistics. Oh, do you really? Oh my Amazing. goodness. Oh, I love this. <laughs> so one of the th reasons why I would say animation is superior is because animation has come such a long way in gender parity, especially in the last few years. As of 2018, uh, according to the Gina Davis uh Institute, which measures media portrayals of women and girls in film mm -hmm. and TV. Children's TV has the best gender balance of all forms of entertainment. Wow. Um, right now, our 2018, 52% were female leads or co-leads for TV shows for no kids. No way. Um, and female characters represented 50.3%, which is almost perfect parody um, and not something that you see across the board in all television. Uh, so that's super exciting. That's and I think children's TV is really leading the way. This was just for children's TV, not animation specifically. Sure. But since animation is a large part of that yes I'll take credit for it I think that's, I, I'm happy to see that and obviously that has changed I yes. do, do you have any idea what the numbers I were I don't have any previous numbers that's I just okay. had those I'm honestly but, so just that curious was, have uh, you heard I any? knew that it had come a long long way so there was a point probably I mean when I was a kid I would say three out of four of the characters in tv shows were guys no, I'm like, I mean I'm thinking about it it was like hey Arnold Doug Boy Meets World it's like the shows yeah. I watched were I, I mean we had Lizzie McGuire which was a little bit later in life. And that was half right. anim a little bit of animation, a little bit live action. We had, what else? Who did we have? Oh, we had us told by Ginger. That was one of my favorites. Oh, <laughs> Remember yeah, that one? Yeah. <laughs> Real quick side note. There was a moment, there was a scene in as told by Ginger where they go on a ski trip and they're like, are you going to hold hands with a boy? And it was like, you'll be able to tell if he likes you if instead of hand cups, it's fingers laced. <laughs> and I think to this day it has affected how I hold hands. I'm like, no, you lace my fingers, you asshole. If well, you really if you love cup me. cup it, that's weird. Well, that right, like, like, it's like, well, it's like friend of friendship like, yeah. cup. We're doing that's it right like, now um, versus like, you know, right? Uh, I just remember that, but I also remember being like, oh my God. Like, that's very insightful. See, that's the kind of insight, the animation can have and affect your life I for know. the rest of your life. So true. That being said, I was laughing to myself thinking about how do we get payment parity across mm -hmm. the board in some of these things. And one of the things I was thinking of is like riling up mommy bloggers because hear me out. How pissed would you be as a parent if you found out that people who make your kids programming aren't getting paid the same amount as the people making television for adults, therefore driving more creators to want to work in adult television uh, and not 
not want to create good things for your children when that content is what is molding your kids' brains. And if you that's agree an with excellent me, point. <laughs> go fight on our behalf. We really need the support of mommy bloggers. I think that's what's going to change the day. <laughs> mommy bloggers can do anything. Yes. I, honestly, I, I genuinely believe a group of impassioned women at home can do, uh, yes, <laughs> can absolutely change everything. Let's uh, take up the cause. Uh, I'm ready for it. Um, all right. What else you got for me? I was going to give you a stat. Here's the, oh, here's my, my, um, my counter arguments. Uh, I was going to say there are a lot more women working in animation than in live action than I actually looked it up. And that's not true. Oh, so darn. in both, uh, animation and live action, women are about 30%. Um, so come on people hiring people. It's not hard to hire women. There are so many great women writers out there. So, um, do that. Yeah, thank you. <laughs> Saying we're, animation's great. We still have some some things that we could do. Yeah, a bit I wrapped on Monday. On. I'm so available. <laughs> <laughs> Guys, I can't emphasize how available I am right now. I'm so ready. Yeah, truly, the only argument I had in favor of live action, which is like this half sentence I have written before I gave up, was that since uh, production is limited and you can't do anything, I think sometimes like. You can argue that like uh, confines breed creativity. Eh, that was it. Um, yeah, sure. That was it. That was my effort to debate today. But if we're talking about creativity, I would also say that animation has to win because every single frame, every object in an animated show has to have been created by someone specifically for this story. So in live action, you can go out and your set designer can buy a lamp or buy a couch and those are all things that those are very important to the story but they're not created specifically for the story that you're telling mm -hmm. so if you are in an animated film you are an animated tv show every single prop you see everything has to be created for that story and has to be created to serve that story so i think that makes it Amazing. even more creative and more collaborative and also um you have animators doubling as actors because it's such a collaborative process the when you see an animated character it's not just the voice that's actually the animator putting that imbuing that character with all of the acting as well so amazing you guys respect us pay us more <laughs> <laughs> and uh let we can change the world absolutely uh i think you've done a completely marvelous job of dying on this hill how are you Thank feeling you. i have to say my last point oh, was please. my final amazing. point no, oh yeah i'm so glad is that animation has the best people like you taylor <gasps> <Yay>! <laughs> that that would win your argument because yeah, I'm not going to debate that. Thank you for saying that. I, I, this can turn such, into a compliment it's circle. So, it's a very nice world to work in. Yeah, it um, really is. It is always just such supportive crews that I've worked with. People totally who agree. really want to make you know, the most exciting, best show that they can make. And it's, I would say just, there's so many women in animation also that are so supportive of each other. And not that they don't have that in live action. I've never experienced that because I don't work in live action, but I do think that animation just has the coolest people. The best nerds are all in animation. <laughs> Amazing. Uh, I love that with all my heart. Uh, and with that, I would love to read you your eulogy. You ready All for right. it? Let's, uh, let's do this. <laughs> we have gathered here today to say goodbye to Shay Fontana, who died on the hill of animation is superior. 
Shay is survived by many projects, including Batman Overdrive, available now wherever you buy books, Polly Pocket Season 2, premiering in 2020, and many more projects which are constantly coming out. Uh, you can follow Shay's legacy to find what those are on Twitter at Shay Fontana, S-H-E-A-F-O-N-T-A-N-A, and on Instagram at Shay Fontana as well. Shay, we are so grateful for your time here on this earth and on this podcast. May you rest in peace. Thank you so much. Thank you for dying on this hill alongside me. I really me. did. I'm uh, fully dead. And not really debating at all. <laughs> Bury me forever. Forever. Dog. This has been a Forever Dog production. Executive produced by Dog. Brett Boehm, Joe Cilio, and Alex Ramsey. For more original podcasts, please visit foreverdogpodcasts.com and subscribe to our shows on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts. Keep up with the latest Forever Dog news by following us on Twitter and Instagram at Forever Dog Team and liking our page on Facebook.